Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. The NBA had its all-star weekend. Not the easiest watch, right? I'm not going to lie to you. I got to kind of sometimes, sometimes, and by sometimes I mean like every time, force myself to watch it. Not my favorite thing. So let me say this. Let me find the best things about the All-Star Weekend. In fact, if I were to ask you, what was the best thing about the entire weekend, what would you say? I thought about it. To me, the best thing of the weekend is, well, I don't really think there is a best thing. Let me run down the highlights, though, and then you can decide for yourself what the weekend's top moment was. Here are the highlights. Let's do it. Cleveland. That's it. Those were the on-court highlights from the entire weekend. Yeah, I know Steph Curry made a ton of shots. I know he was named MVP. I know that he received a new trophy that looked like, I don't know, like a giant cologne bottle. But let's not act like this was a great All-Star weekend. Let's not act like any of them are great All-Star weekends. I mean, the easiest take of all time is to come in the day after an All-Star game or a Pro Bowl and say it's boring, it's pointless. But that pretty much was boring and pointless. Let me say this. The Elam ending is fine. It makes the final moments of the game actually somewhat watchable. But as far as the entire weekend goes, pretty useless. I mean, the only thing easier than saying that the All-Star game sucks is saying that the slam dunk contest sucks. But it does. That's the truth. That's just a fact. Take that dog out back. And mercifully put it down. Because it's time. In fact, it's way past time. It's cruel and inhumane to let that thing live. The Pro Bowl cannot believe how terrible the slam dunk contest is. There's like one good dunk. Well, one good contest. No, I had it right the first time. There's like one good dunk every decade. And then a whole lot of crap in between. Sure. Remember Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon? Of course, we remember that. But do you remember slam dunk champ Jeremy Evans? Does Jeremy Evans even remember Jeremy Evans? Fred Jones won a dunk contest. And I swear that sounds like an alias. That does not sound like an actual NBA player. No offense, Fred. But it sounds like a fake name that you give when you can't think of another name or you don't want anybody to know that you're staying in that hotel. Or you don't want anybody to know that you are who you really are. Hey, yo, what's your name, Fred Jones? Anyway, this time around, there were... Check this out. There were more misses than makes in the first round. That's not even a joke. That's a fact. Not the three-point contest, the dunk contest. There were more misses than makes in the first round. The dunkers went 7 for 25 on dunks in the first round. 28% would be a bad night from beyond the arc. But it's hilariously horrible when you're at the basket itself. Like take Jalen Green. He went one for nine. He probably would have had a better shooting percentage from midcourt. Seriously, have that guy start jacking it from the parking lot and he probably hits at a higher clip than one for nine. Now you might try and come in here and say, yeah, well, that's a Jalen Green problem. That's not a dunk contest problem. 
to which I would say you can take green out of the dunk contest, but that's not going to revive something that died years and years ago. No one should be subjected to that bullcrap. Not Green himself, not you, not me, not anybody with a set of eyeballs and a brain. Because that was painful as hell. I was embarrassed. Embarrassed for him. I was embarrassed for everybody. Looks like he's going off the side of the Oh, man, that was Jalen Green coming out of the G League Ignite. Now with the Houston Rockets, his first dunk contest. Oh! He's got this one. He's got this. You can see it. You can see it. Oh. He, his head. His head. You see his head? Wow. Yeah, he was there. He's losing the judges, fellas. Yeah. yeah. All the guys going to put it in. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we got to change it up. There you go. There you go. Oh, just a regular yeah, lob, but it works, and Green's got one of the books. Gotta get him some, some eights and I'll get him a seven. sevens. Seven and eights. Yeah. Or ones or zeros. You ever see guys, like, miss the backboard altogether on a dunk? Or not even get a dunk up. Like, I know guys are trying to do something new and different, but that's the problem, right? There isn't anything new or different that can be done with a dunk. (laughs) We've seen it all. It's all been done before. It's a ball. It's a basket. There is only so many ways you can get that ball into the basket. We've seen them all. And no, it's not a matter of me calibrating my expectations. Like, I knew exactly what I was going to get when I tuned into the All-Star Weekend. I know what I'm not going to get when I tune in to an All-Star weekend. What I'm not going to get is good basketball. I know this. This time, though, and again, so why why do it? They pay me to, and it's my job, and I was curious about one thing. I did want to see the ceremonies involving the top 75 players of all time. Now, getting to that, damn. Like, that halftime ceremony really was something. That was something else, and I don't mean it was good. We went from arguably... The greatest Super Bowl halftime ever to an absolute mess of an all-star game halftime. Man, that thing was so long. That was so boring. That was so tedious. I thought it was Fergie's national anthem all over again. Actually, I wished it was Fergie's national anthem all over again because at least that was funny. Forgot how erotic the national anthem could be. That was borderline erotic. Find it, Alvy. Borderline erotic. Borderline erotic. Thank you. I mean, I would never talk over the national anthem, but she stomped all over it, so why not, right? Although that was borderline erotic. See, that was funny at least. Last night was not funny. Or cool. Just boring. I mean, what we don't need... Thanks, Fergie. Let's play some basketball. What we don't need are hosts giving speeches to define what a forward, a center, and a guard do. Who the hell are they even talking to? You want to talk about talking down to somebody. How stupid do we all look? The league's been around like 75 years. I think we all have a pretty good idea or a pretty good grasp of what the five guys on the floor actually do. And if it wasn't for one guy, the entire proceeding would have been a total disaster. 
Here is the one guy who saved the day. Here is the one guy who elevated the entire thing. A six-time NBA champion and five-time league MVP, Michael Jordan. There you go. There's my co-star. The fact that he was there was a bit of a surprise, given that he was at the Daytona 500 earlier in the day. That is the ultimate power move among power moves, right? Well, all the other greatest players of all time were assembling in Cleveland. My man's running two cars in Daytona, jumping a plane to get to Cleveland in time for that introduction. So that's a power move in and of itself. And then not only did he make it in time for the intro, he made it in time to start talking bleep to magic. Damn. Could you make out that audio? That's the best. Of course, MJ was going to upstage everybody. Of course, MJ was going to challenge a 62-year-old Irv to a game of one-on-one. Of course, MJ was like, right here, right now. Trust me. Did you see it when they had guys, when they zoomed guys in to wave to the crowd? One of those guys was 93-year-old Bob Cousy. Let me be very careful about what I say about Coos. He was one of the first guys that I interviewed on Talk 2 back in the day when I got my first TV show. Loved him. Loved him. Loved Bob Cousy. I mean, Bob Cousy was magic before magic was magic. However, Mike, knowing Mike and the junk he was talking about a 62-year-old Irv, if Mike could have, Mike would have posted up a 93-year-old Bob Cousy right then and there. And MJ abusing a 93-year-old Bob Cousy and then letting Coos hear about it would have been better than anything that actually happened in the actual All-Star game itself. And I mean that. It's like, good thing Mike showed up. Like I always say, the show behind the show is better than the show itself. I always say it about this show. We always have a show running simultaneously next to the show that's on the air that doesn't make it on the air that's better than the one that is on the air. You follow me? Like the, quote, BTS, the behind-the-scenes stuff, better than the actual stuff. So the show there was behind or better than the show that was actually on the floor. I mean, seeing MJ all loosey-goosey, seeing MJ all affectionate, man, that was something. That was something else. MJ showing up in time to hug on Luca, sneaking up on grumpy Jerry West, waxing nostalgic with LeBron. I mean, I haven't seen MJ that giddy since he hit a five-team parlay. Or, or better yet, when he took the security guards for five bucks pitching quarters. I haven't seen him that happy since then. It's almost as if somebody had told MJ that Isaiah Thomas just got COVID. There's no way you can convince me he wasn't that Yeah, they don't like each other. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Now, does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Does that sound familiar? If so, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all the entertainment that you love, but without all that hassle. It's called DirecTV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. It also means no juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the very best part, 
there is no annual contract. So get rid of all the clutter and all the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. Eric Musselman joins us. Eric, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks so much for having me on again. EP Must, always good to have you on. So you've won 11 and 12. You've beaten two straight-ranked teams in your house. How are you doing right now, and how are you feeling about the team as you come down the home stretch? Well, we're obviously playing really good basketball, Jim. That You know, the one loss was at Alabama, one-point loss, which could have gone either way. Alabama's a really good, talented offensive team. They're well-coached. It's a hard place to play. Um, and that's been, you know, been our one little hiccup so far over this uh, winning streak we've had. But we, we end the season with a really, really difficult schedule. We play at Florida uh, tomorrow. Then we have Kentucky at home on Saturday, LSU the following Tuesday at home, and then finish the season at Tennessee. So arguably, you know, probably the toughest uh, stretch end of the season is anybody in the country schedule-wise. We've, we've done a good job by beating Auburn at home and had a big win at home against Tennessee. Um, and, and, and we played pretty well of late on the road as well. So just trying to continue uh, to do what we did last year, which is get better as the season progressed, not take any steps backwards. Even if you lose a game like we did at Alabama, Jim, I thought the thing was our team got better and we were able to come back after that loss uh, and handle business you know, sometimes you lose, you can point some things out, you can you can find some holes that maybe you didn't know were there, uh, but you don't want your team's confidence to ever waver. Eric Musselman is joining us. Must not only that, I agree with everything you just said, and on top of that, you're playing really, really tough. You're playing fierce, fierce defense, and this is a hallmark of all your teams is how hard they play, how hard they work, and your last 12 opponents, 10 of the 12 have been held to under 40% shooting from the field, so I know that's got to make you happy. Let me ask you about this. You had a bunch of pro hogs back on Saturday. You even broke out some custom kicks yourself. How pleased were you with the shoes, and what's it mean to have the pros back in the arena? Well, it meant a ton. You know, several of the guys I had not coached, obviously. Um, Bobby Portis, I didn't coach. Daniel Gafford, I didn't coach. Um, but then Isaiah Joe, who's with the 76ers. Mason Jones, who's playing for the Lakers G League team. Uh, and then even two of the guys that played for us at Nevada, Cody and Caleb Martin. Caleb's with the Miami Heat. and Cody's with Charlotte. They all came. And we we all know, Jim, or you and I know very well that an NBA player over his all-star break, you know, maybe go to Cancun or, or uh, head to some beach warm area to chill for, for three or four days. And the all-star break this year is actually an extended all-star break. Guys don't have to report back until Wednesday or Thursday. Um, and so to have those guys back, we had, you know, 20,000 fans in the building um, against Tennessee absolutely incredible environment but what it does is we you know we have a a great recruiting class that's ranked second in the nation for all those guys that are that have not stepped foot on campus yet and had a practice or gone to class they get to see how important it is once you're done and the pride that Razorback players have to come back so really really cool environment there's you know I know that there's other programs that had one or two pros back but not the number of guys that we had back. And, and like I mentioned, a couple guys from Nevada, guys that we hadn't coached as a new staff. So it was really, really a great environment. They actually introduced our starting five. Each one of those guys took a different player. 
Um, and that was something that we kind of brainstormed and thought it would be a great way to get our fans involved in the game before the jump ball even happened. That is cool. Speaking of your fans, Eric Musselman joining us. Mush, you had shoulder surgery back in January. And, of course, when you beat number 1 Auburn earlier this month, you went legend with your shirtless celebration with the fans. I mean, you've been a part of some amazing basketball moments in your career. Where would you rank that one? And I understand the moment, and I understand the promise, and I understand the adrenaline, but that's a pretty bad wing you have. What was it like to be in the middle of all that humanity? <laughs> well, the, 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 one of the funniest stories is Moses Moody came in pregame uh, to the coach's locker room prior to our game Saturday against Tennessee, and he said, hey, coach, I got to ask you one thing. Steph Curry wanted to know, did you cut the – polo off or did you actually take the sling off take the pull and I said what are you talking about Steph Curry and he goes oh no coach Kerr put the video of you running around with no shirt in a sling and said hey this is Moses Moody's alma mater uh, and so to hear that you know he and I got a, a, a chuckle That's out of it great but what had happened was during the day I went and passed out some food because we had an incredible student line and some of the students asked hey will you take your shirt off if we win tonight I said hey if we win tonight, the shirt's coming off. Um, but I had two police officers. We actually, I did the interview with the national television broadcast. And then I'm sitting there. I'm like, hey, I got I to gotta hold my promise with the student section. Let's go back out there. And I asked the police officers. I said, hey, with the torn rotator cuff, I cannot get bumped. And they were like, hey, we got you. And so I had two great officers uh, kind of, I wanted to go celebrate with everybody else. I'm sitting in a locker room alone. And two policemen, I'm like, hey, let's go for this thing. Let's get back in the student section and have some fun. But the adrenaline, being a part of that on a college campus, just makes it so much different than coaching in the NBA. Eric Musselman joining us. I'm going to try and get there, too. Hey, Mus, I understand that you're focused on your own work, your own team. But one of the biggest stories of the weekend, of course, was Michigan coach Juwan Howard getting into it with a Wisconsin assistant yesterday. In your experience, Mus, are there unwritten rules when it comes to pressing in the final minute of a blowout or calling a timeout to deal with that press? Like, who was wrong in this situation? You know, I, 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 I think, Jim, like, the one thing that, that my dad told me, and obviously he coached the Cavs and the Timberwolves as a head coach, he told me, don't worry about anything but what your team's doing. And I think that that especially holds true in a late game uh, if there's a double-digit lead. And – you know, so for me, whether a team's pressing, whether a team's not pressing, I always tell our guys, hey, look, we're going to play for 40 minutes as long as there's a scoreboard up there. We're going to play hard. You know, we understand clock management. And if we're on offense, we're going to run the clock out. If we're on defense and we have no chance late game, we're going to stay in a defensive stance, but we're not going to reach for the ball. Um, you know, we're going to give the perception uh, that we're still competing um, but, but we're also not going to extend the game, so to speak, if we have no chance to win. And then, obviously, the world that I grew up, Jim, meaning the NBA, the G League, you know, you, you're not part of a handshake line. Um, you know, the NBA for many years, it's been head coach, looks down, acknowledges uh, the other head coach, the other coaching staff, and then – oftentimes coaches will shake hands with some players or they'll go down there and shake hands if they want. But at the collegiate level, you know, this handshake line has always been, you know, a part of college athletics. So 
there's a lot of factors that, that, you know, go into it. The, the bottom line is, you know, you can't have stuff like that happen when you're coaching student athletes. That's the bottom line. Eric Musselman, my guest. Must really quickly, if you have time, I got, or I mean, if you can get it in about a minute or so. The league honored 15 coaches, the NBA. You work for two of them in Chuck Daly and Doc Rivers. How much have they both influenced you as a head coach? Oh, man. I mean, I, I tell young coaches all the time, like the greatest thing that ever happened to me was working for Chuck Daly uh, because of the respect that he had. One, I learned so much on a daily basis, but then on the, you know, the other part was my career. And, and when the Warriors job opened, uh, he called for me and probably got, you know, me in the door without a question and then probably slammed the door uh, after the interview. And he, he later told me, hey, I didn't tell you, you were actually interviewing for the associate head coaching job. I told you it was for the head job because I thought you could kick butt in the, uh, in the interview and I could help you later. Um, and then Doc Rivers, I mean, to be with, and I went from one to the other. So Chuck had, Daly had just retired and then Doc Rivers, it was his first time as a, as a head coach. And, and to be a, a part of both those guys' careers absolutely incredible and they both brought so many different aspects and viewpoints to the game um at a young age i mean i couldn't couldn't ask for two better mentors that that's amazing Mus. i actually did not know that story about chuck daly that he said to you you're interviewing for the top spot when you really weren't because i mean would that i know how you go about it would that have impacted the way you approach that interview at all did that help you yeah. I, I probably wouldn't have even gone for the interview because I, I loved being in Orlando. We had a great house. Obviously, the winter in, in Orlando is awesome, although it's really nice in the Bay Area too. But um, Coach Daly's agent was, was Lonnie Cooper, who was also my agent and was also the general manager's agent, Gary St. Jean. And none of them told me what I was going in for. Um, and so my agent, Lonnie Cooper, was in – cahoots with coach Daly um, just to try to get me in there and and so I prepared only as if I was going in there for the head coaching job that is a wild story he is the head coach at Arkansas third season there and once again they went to the elite eight last season they were playing really good ball when it matters most but again coming down the stretch probably four ranked teams in the last eight games and Eric Musselman will have them ready Musk great to have you on the show thanks so much good luck the rest of the win I know you and I will get caught up soon Thanks so much, Jim. Always awesome being in the jungle. I love every morning spending an hour listening to you while I work out. Keep up the awesome work. Thanks, Jim. You're the best, Mus. And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful. You know, like Cashback Match, for instance. Discover matches all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards, they do make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. So did you happen to check out Michigan v. Wisconsin yesterday? Or how about Juwan Howard v. Wisconsin assistant? Pretty much it's the same thing. So I'm sure that you saw this. If not, the Badgers beat the Wolverines by 14. Then Juwan Howard tried to beat a Badgers assistant about the head. 77 to 63. And Juwan Howard not going over immediately to shake hands. Now 
know he's going to get in the line. Interesting finish here. 77. Oh, see, and they're going at it. Oh, yeah. Howard and Guard are not happy right now as the two of them continue to have words. We told you Jawan Howard was not happy about that timeout. Yo, and Jawan Howard just threw a right hand. And now we got a scrub. Fight. We have a scrub Fight. in Madison. Fight. Players are pushing and shoving. This is an ugly scene. This is an ugly scene. Oh, my God. Trying to get separated. And there's no doubt it all stems Credit from CBS. the timeout by Greg Gardner. Now, that's not an excuse for this. All right. So, let's be clear about a couple of things. Number one, I like Jawan Howard. I like Jawan Howard. I have a ton of respect for Jawan Howard. And I've got a ton of respect for him as a person, player, and coach. Number two, it wasn't a punch. I never thought that I would have to distinguish between whether the head basketball coach in Michigan punched an opposing assistant or if it was something else. But the fact is, it was something else. It's not like he cold-cocked him, and it's not like it was a punch. It was actually closer to, if we're going to make a distinction, a face snatch. More of a face snatch than a punch. You don't see that very often. In fact, I don't remember the last time I saw somebody try to snatch another dude's face. Actually, pretty much never. And I certainly have not seen a well-respected head coach do something like that. So, exactly what happened. It depends who you ask. If you're looking for an explanation, here is Greg Gard's version of what happened. Well, uh, apparently he uh, didn't like that I called the timeout to, to reset the 10-second call because uh, we only had four seconds to get the ball over half court. And I didn't want to put my backups. I had all my bench guys in the game. I didn't want to put them in that position of scrambling with only four seconds. So I took a timeout and it got us a new 10 seconds um, and helped them you know, get organized to get the ball in. And uh, he did not like that when he came through the, the handshake line. So um, I'll leave it at that and the tape will show the rest. So that's Wisconsin head coach Greg Gard saying this is why I called timeout and he didn't like that. Here is Jawan Howard's version of what happened. I didn't like the timeout being called, and I'll be totally honest with you. I thought it was not necessary at that moment, especially being a large lead. You know, I thought that that was what I felt wasn't fair to our guys. And so that's, that's what happened. For someone to touch me, and I think that was very uncalled for for him to touch me as we were verbalizing and communicating with one another. So um, that's what ended up happening, and that's what escalated it. All right, so he says, that's what escalated it. I would say, is that what escalated it, or was it your attempted face snatch that escalated it? And that's what escalated it. All right, so why don't we get into this for a minute? Why don't we get into the invisible code, the unwritten rules, who was right, who was wrong? Michigan was going with a full-court press down 15 in the final minute of the game. So you're not really supposed to do that either, right? I mean, you can. There's no rule against it. However, if you're going to press late in the game, down 15, and you're still playing, and you're still coaching, don't get pissed when the other coach calls a timeout. Listen, if you're going to argue that I'm going to coach my team for the full 40, regardless of the score, then the other coach has the right to coach his team for the full 40 as well. I mean, what is guard supposed to do in that situation? You're still trying. You're still coaching. Why shouldn't he? 
Is he supposed to just let his guys get turned over? If you go with a full-court press in the final minute of a blowout, then you've got to live with the consequences. And if the consequences are the other team calls timeout, and you have to stand around and look at a scoreboard that shows you getting your ass kicked and your season falling apart, then so be it. you got to wear that. The response is not to punch an assistant or snatch his face. You take the L, you go back to the locker room, you file that away, and you regroup. You wear the fact that you were a top-five team only a few months ago, and now you're barely over 500 in your own conference. Why do I have a feeling that that's got a whole lot to do with that? So, while Howard has to control himself and wear that beat down and not let his hands go and not try to snatch another guy's face, Greg Gard is not blameless either, right? Gard stopped Howard in the handshake line. Now, Gard's arguing that I stopped and I touched him because I wanted to explain to him why I called timeout. Howard's saying, hey, man, don't put your hands on me, and I get that. So Gard probably should have let Howard blow right by him and then gone to his own locker room to celebrate. And then if you want to explain to him why he did what he did, then maybe you pick up the phone a little bit later on or you thumb out a text. But maybe not in that moment when it's that heated. Howard made it clear he did not want to be touched. And he grabbed Gard's sweater and stuck a finger in his face. So at that point, both guys were giving as good as they were getting in that spot. Should have been done, right? That should have been it. Then a bunch of players and assistants and security get in between them, and then that's when Howard threw that face snatch or face slap or whatever you want to call it at a Wisconsin assistant. And this is why I'm saying it's so much worse what he did. If you're a head coach, you can't throw a punch. You can't land a shot on an opposing assistant coach, or really anybody for that matter. You can't hit one of your own guys. You can't hit one of your own coaches. You can't hit an opposing player. You can't hit an opposing coach. You just can't. When your own athletic director says, quote, there is no excuse for any of our staff or student athletes to get into a physical altercation with others regardless of instigating factors, end quote, then there's no excuse. So guards should not have made the initial contact, but Howard was way, way over the line in how he responded. He had already been moved to the back of the scrum when everybody got in, and he used that six foot nine frame to reach over multiple people and slap that dude in the face. If you're a head coach, act like a head coach. You're supposed to be the guy who calms everything down, not the one who escalates it. Like, I can't believe I have to say this, but you can't do that. And almost as bad as throwing and landing that shot was the fact that he didn't seem to be acknowledging it after it happened. Instead, he said he, quote, felt the need to defend himself. You felt the need to defend yourself. You're Juwan Howard. You're 6'9". Defend yourself against who? Against what? Against the intimidating threat that is Greg Gard? Dude, you played in the NBA. You went up against Shaq. You needed to defend yourself against a 51-year-old guy in a sweater. What, did he have leverage on you? My man barely makes it up to your shoulders. Everybody barely makes it up to your shoulders. Juwan, you're 6'9". So what punishment fits that crime? Almost assuredly a suspension. How long a suspension? Is he done for the season? Is he done for postseason play? I don't know, but he's going to be done for a while. I'm not saying that should cost him his job, but I'm saying he will get suspended. 
I mean, come on, Jawan, you got to own this. Own the fact that your season is not going the way you wanted it to. Own the fact that you got your asses kicked on the floor yesterday. You're right. Guard's action was uncalled for, but your reaction was way over the top. And it is going to cost you, and it is going to cost your team, and you are looking at a suspension, and probably a long one at that. And when that does happen, when that does come down, do what you should have done yesterday, own it, and keep moving. Because if it's only a long suspension, and it's not your job, consider yourself lucky. That shouldn't cost him his gig, but it could. And it should never happen in the first place anyway. So where do you come out? And here they come. Dear Jim, a new reason to go. When a basketball coach calls a timeout with 13 seconds left in the game, just so his home crowd can have more time to cheer, his teams blow out over the other team. Ron, I'll say it again. If the other team is still trying and pressing and playing the full 40, why shouldn't the home team? Listen, if, if they were trying to get the hell off the floor and they got their asses kicked and they knew it was not their day and Greg Gard is calling timeouts to rub it in their face, that's different. And if your argument is that's exactly what he was doing, I would argue that's not what he's doing. Not when the other team is still pressing. Not when the other team is still trying. Fine. Play the full 40, but don't get pissed when the other team wants to play the full 40 because you are. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Ohio State, Brad Underwood is my guest. Brad, good to have you back. Always good to have you on. How are you? Jim, great to be on, man. Good to have you on. So why don't we talk about where you're at? You beat number 19 Michigan State in East Lansing on Saturday. If you're going to beat Tom Izzo in his house, Brad, in late February, you got to be good and you have to be tough. What did your team show you on Saturday? Yeah, we bounced back because we, we had not been great in the game before. We got outfought by Rutgers and, and – uh, you don't go into facing Izzo team and, and, and not have some uh, toughness and some fight. Um, you know, it's, it was a physical, physical game. Um, and I like the way our guys responded. Uh, we made plays. We, we really were, were, were great defensively, as good as we've been in a long time, in the first half of that game. Uh, and then they do what a Tom Izzo team did. They rallied. They made shots. And, uh uh, we just happened to make some plays down the stretch to, to hold on to the lead. But uh, 
Great, great college basketball game, hard fought, and, and two good basketball teams. Brad Underwood is my guest. Brad, you mentioned that you guys were out fought in the previous game against Rutgers. You were actually even more emphatic about that. You had an amazing quote after that game where you said, quote, the one thing that I am never going to stomach is the fact that my team got outplayed. That pisses me off. That's 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 some bull bleep, to be honest. And then you added, we got punked. It's that plain and simple. End of quote. That's an amazing quote. And obviously, you were feeling pretty strongly about that. How did your players respond to hearing that? Yeah, they've been great. And then they know. They know what we're about. And they know how, how we practice and uh, what our program, what our culture is. Um, you know, and uh, to me, the game's not overly complicated. It's playing together and playing really hard. And, and when you don't do that, uh, you're going to lose. And we can all X and O, and we can all run the greatest plays ever. But if we're not connected and we don't play harder than our opponent, we're not going to win. And, and, and that's, to me, what the, what the game is about. And uh, give Rutgers all the credit in the world. They, they, they punched us and, and uh, uh, ended up beating us. And, and it, was, it, was, it was frustrating for me. That's not our norm. That's not our culture. And our guys responded with two great days of practice and uh, uh, going to East Lansing and finding a way to win there. Well, I appreciate that response. Brad Underwood is joining us. He's the head coach at Illinois. Brad, what about Kofi Coburn? He said that you called him out, especially when it comes to the free throws late in games. Then he made two with 98 seconds left on Saturday. And he said his thought was, quote, you know what, coach? I'm going to show you I'm not a coward. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to make that shot. End of quote. How big were those free throws for him and for the team overall? Well, that's the one thing about Kofi that you love is, is you can really coach him. Uh, you can set demands and expectations uh, really high for him. I, I have my expectations for Kofi are higher than they are for himself. And, and, uh, but that building was as loud as, as, I've ever, as I've ever seen in this league when he was shooting those two free throws. The, that building was electric. And for him to uh, play 30 minutes and the physicality of the game and to step up there and make two, uh, shows you what a winner he is, how competitive he is. And, and uh, it wasn't about just proving it to me. It was about uh, helping his teammates win. And, and uh, I'm darn glad he's on our team. Brad Underwood's my guest. You know, Brad, it seems to me also, it also says, it also tells you that you can coach him hard, that he wants to be coached hard, that he likes being challenged by you, that he's not intimidated by that and won't back down. So in your experience, how do you approach that? Because it would seem to me not everybody wants to hear that or maybe not everybody responds well to that or do you treat and coach and motivate them all the same way how do you approach that no that's the beauty of Kofi Kofi's a sponge and and he he wants information he wants to be challenged he wants to be motivated uh he wants to be pushed in 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 ways that um make can make him better and uh you know he gets mad at me if I'm not on him every day if I'm not pushed, if he's the one that, that uh, he accepts that he, and he demands that, uh, not everybody can handle that. Uh, but uh, most of our team uh, understands the culture and the tenacity with which we play. Uh, so no one's immune. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're going to push him to try to make them uh, the best they can be. And that means sometimes, Jim, you got to get uncomfortable and you got to find out how you can grow and deal with adversity and, and we had adversity at Rutgers and, and by golly, I'm proud of my team. They responded and they handled it well. And 
um, I, that, that's growth. And I'm sure, Brad, you tell them you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And when you talk about culture, it seems to me like you had a great team last year, and then you lost multiple players to Pro Bowl, or Pro Ball, I should say, and then three assistant coaches as well. Most programs, if they have that sort of turnover, they're going to take a step back. It's inevitable, but you haven't. How do you explain that ability to keep playing at a very high level and a high standard despite those changes? Is it culture or is it something else? No, it's all culture, Jim. And I think the one thing that uh, Trent Frazier, Devontae Williams, two fifth-year guys, I think one of the things that even though we lost Io and Io's having an incredible year in the in the NBA, one of the things that that that, that, I, that I believe it's really hard to lose staff and a lot of players and keep your culture. That's one of the things that concerns me about today's world is with the transfer portal. And if you do lose coaches, how do you keep your culture? And uh, you can lose one or, 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 you know, very seldom can you lose both and try to keep your culture, in my opinion. But we have Trent Frazier, DeMonte Williams, two fifth-year guys. Uh, they understand what we're about. They understand our culture. And those guys have been dynamic in help, helping me keep our culture and keep our locker room strong. And Frazier hit some big, big shots. Brad Underwood is joining us. So, Brad, the Big Ten is a battle every single year. You are the winningest team in the Big Ten over the last three years. How would you define what it takes to win in this conference? Because they're all different. But what about this conference in particular? What wins in the Big Ten? Culture. I think the one thing that I came – when I came into this league five years ago, you looked at Purdue and and you look at – Matt's been there 16, 17 years. But prior to that was Gene Cady. You look at Michigan State, Judd Heathcote, Tom Izzo. You look at Wisconsin, the – Last 30 years at Wisconsin have all been uh, the same type of culture. Uh, when I got here, John Beeline was at Michigan, had been here 10, 12 years. Everybody was established in their culture, and, and uh, you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I put a dent in that? And uh, the players get old, the coaches are really good, the environments are sellout crowds every night. Um, and, and, you know, we had to set out, and it wasn't easy early. Uh, but there's no shortcuts. There were some speed bumps. We weren't very good our first two years. We built it with the freshman class and just got those guys better and, and then have tried to keep adding a piece or two every year. And, um, it, you know, it's helped us. But uh, it's not an easy league, that's for sure. No, it's not. So finally, you won the Big Ten tournament last year and you led the conference in wins last year, but you missed out on the regular season title because of an unequal number of games between teams. You're a half game out of first right now. What would it mean then to win a regular season conference title this year? Well, it means everything. It's what we play for in this league. You know, we, we, we're trying to play for a Big Ten championship. And, uh, you know, it, it's very rare. Last year was a unique situation where we played every game and we won the most games and yet didn't win a title. And yet uh, there was a little validation for us in winning the Big Ten tournament. But uh, if you can win the Big Ten championship, you got a chance to win a national championship. And uh, uh, that's our goal. Uh, it's what we strive for when the season starts. And then uh, as we move into postseason, those goals will shift. But uh, great league, great coaches. <clears throat> We've got four really hard games left, and, and uh, uh, we'll take them one by one and see where it, where it all adds up at the end. Nothing easy in that conference. Ohio State at Illinois Thursday night. Ohio State's ranked 22nd. Illinois number 14 in the coaches' poll. Their head coach is Brad Underwood. Brad, appreciate you. Great to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Good luck this week. Thanks, Jim. You're the best. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. 
Now, does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Does that sound familiar? If so, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all the entertainment that you love, but without all that hassle. It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. It also means no juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the very best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of all the clutter and all the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. Skip this guy right to the front. Let's go to San Antonio, Gino. Gino, what's going on? How are you? Rome. Man, you know, I had to call in after that horrific weekend. You remember when All-Star Weekend was actually something you look forward to? I do. Dominique Wilkins, Larry Bird, Reggie Miller, you know, Jordan. I mean, you name it. It was it was literally like a weekend that you you thought of for months. You're like, can't wait till All-Star Weekend. It was going to be amazing, and it always lived up to the hype, almost always. This weekend, horrible, and it's been horrible for a while. Before I get into that, just quickly on Juwan Howard. You know, you got, I think we really need to give this guy a pass. you got to take into consideration what his circumstances were leading up to that, and by that I mean – he lives in Michigan, you know, already not desirable, but factor in that he lives in Michigan and it's February. You know, George Gervin thinks it's too cold there. It takes 30 minutes to thaw out your car just so you can go anywhere. So I think we got to give Jawan Howard a pass for auditioning for face-off too. I mean, it's not like he was weaponizing high chairs or something like that. And speaking of horrible places, let's get back to the All-Star game. Hey, way to go, Adam Silver. What a garbage weekend All-Star weekend was. More garbage than any garbage All-Star weekend that has preceded it, and that's saying something. How Cleveland of you to drag out a homeless person who had apparently just been attacked by a flock of grackles if her outfit was any indication, and then let them gargle their way through the national anthem, even LeBron could not keep his face straight. That was terrible. But this is how bad All-Star Weekend is now, Jim. When I think about calling into the show, I usually ask myself, is the take that I'm about to say on the Jim Rome show pretty much the same take as everybody else is going to say? And if so, don't bother. What's the point? But in this case, there is literally no other take other than this product is horrible, period. The players barely care that they have this horrible product. They are barely playing. And when your core audience, namely me, realizes that you don't even care about your product, you're not taking it seriously, you are in a bad place. Hey, Adam Silver, if it sounds like I'm saying that I'm getting really close to losing interest in the NBA altogether, trust your instincts, my man. Later, Rome. It's a good, good call. Gino, rock him. You have your telephone number, one 800 636 Eight six eight six. Let's go to Matt in L.A. What's up, Matt? Romeo, thanks for the vine. Hey, uh, real quick, wanted to touch on this whole LeBron saga, how he's trying to throw Rob Lowe under the bus. I mean, it's pretty weak sauce, man. We all remember at the beginning of the year when he was tweeting out how everybody needs to have that same energy about how he put together that team with Westbrook and uh, glass, I mean, AD, and all that. And now, all of a sudden, it's Palenka's doing. Hey, Lobozo, stop playing GM. 
this terrible roster construction is all on you. And trading Westbrook for a ball rack, er, John Wall, at least a ball rack would have had more uh, playing time in the last two years. It's just been a debacle, man. He needs to man up already, sack up, and handle his business. War Ira Craig using a Frisbee as a dinner plate, and R.I.P. Cal Invadian. Outro. Matt in L.A. All right, then. Let's go to Iowa quickly. Dickey in Iowa. Dickey, what's up? Pimp in the box. Just a suggestion for tomorrow's five-deuce special segment. A 22 minutes, 10 clones, one guaranteed golden ticket. A smack-off battle royal, if you will. 22 minutes of a winner-take-all clone-on-clone carnage. Giving each other the proverbial hands. Uh, a chance to receive the elusive golden ticket. I don't know. What do you think? It's got the juice. It's got drama. My only question is, will it make the show better? War Old Trapper Beef Jerky and War Iowa Athletics beating up on Nebraska. I'm out. I can answer the question. Would it make the show better? No. What you're asking for, Dickie, I appreciate it. I appreciate you trying to come up with an idea, but what you're asking for is something we do every single day. Call in and get a golden ticket. You just said a smack-off play-in with one guaranteed golden ticket. First of all, the golden ticket's not guaranteed. I can't guarantee one. All that guarantees is that somebody who does not deserve one is going to get one. And number two, the, this whole concept of a play-in segment or a play-in day is every day. You're coming up, a lot of you are coming up with ideas that are already in effect but unspoken. There's no treat in that. Of course, he is the pride of UC Davis, good friend of the program. He is Howard Beck. Howard, always good to have you on. What's up, Howard? How are you? What's happening, Romy? Go Ags. <laughs> you know it, my man. All right, so let me ask you this. What did you make? Oops, there is Siri. What do you make of the visual and in particular behind-the-scenes visuals, Howard, at the 75th anniversary team in the same location at the All-Star Game? I thought that was kind of cool and kind of interesting. What did you make of it? Yeah, it was, it was interesting because – Adam Silver Saturday and I actually said it was like part coincidence and part planning that the 75th anniversary presentation ends up happening in the same city uh, for the All-Star Game as the 50th. Um, the Cavs were in line anyway because they had renovated their arena and it was, you know, brand spanking new practically. And, you know, that's, that's how you get the All-Star Game is you, you spend, you know, a few hundred million to upgrade your arena or build a new one and then you, you put in a bid. So uh, it, it, it was a, a nice kind of happy pseudo coincidence for the league. The presentation itself I thought was really well done. Unfortunate that not all of the living legends uh, who were part of the list made it, um, but still just kind of chilling and, and thrilling to watch all these guys assembled in one place, their interactions with each other. We've never seen LeBron and Michael Jordan have anything like not so much as a, a barely a glance at each other, um, and so having that moment where they're embracing and chit-chatting and kind of laughing, I would love to hear that audio. <laughs> um, but I, I, I thought overall tremendous, you know, a, a rough weekend in some respects for the NBA All-Star-wise, but that, that was a great moment. I would say, Howard, in a lot of respects. I thought that was the best part of the weekend. I loved it. That's why I wanted to ask you about that. Howard, what about LeBron? He had the game winner in Cleveland. Of course, his return to Cleveland was a big topic the entire weekend. After what you've seen throughout the weekend – could you see him coming back to the Cavs as a player at any point? I mean, it's 
LeBron, never say never, right? right? I mean, Cleveland to Miami, Miami back to Cleveland when we didn't really see it coming, and then Cleveland to L.A. And, the, you know, look, he has shown that he is willing to do whatever it takes to find the team that gives him the best chance to keep adding titles. And the Lakers provided that, and now they're not. And they're kind of locked up, and things are in a, in a really difficult spot. And, you know, Le- LeBron – is, is a master of these passive-aggressive messages through the media, and he did a lot of it over the weekend, including you know, a, 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 what seemed like an otherwise generic question about Josh Giddy turns into LeBron praising to the high heavens what an incredible GM Sam Presti is, <laughs> which it's hard not to see that as a knock on Rob Palenka, and we know that, Rob, that, that uh, LeBron wasn't exactly pleased with the lack of action at the trade deadline. So could he go back to Cleveland? I mean, yes, anything is possible. Will he go back to Cleveland? Oh, I, 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 I wouldn't predict it. I think in general, the way we should view LeBron's comments over the weekend and recently period is more of a put maximum pressure on the Lakers. Make it clear they're on notice. Make it clear you are willing to jump again if need be. Keep that out there as a, a, a just a pressure point. And I think that's the way to look at it as of right now. I agree with you. I think that he was running the LeBron playbook, and I think he's running it to perfection. We have seen this before. Howard Beck is joining us. So, Howard, the biggest news coming out of the All-Star Game weekend is the fact that Chris Paul is going to be out six to eight weeks with a thumb injury. Just how big of a blow is that for the Suns? This is a fascinating question, Jim. Like, an absolutely fascinating question because it seems like the obvious thing. Okay, you know, star player goes out how does it affect the team this one's fascinating because the Suns had their core together before Chris Paul arrived a couple years ago right like you had Devin Booker you had DeAndre Ayton you had Bridges you had this interesting young core and they couldn't break through they couldn't even make the playoffs and Chris Paul comes in and suddenly they're in the NBA finals and when you think about the impact he's had on them as Chris Paul's leadership obviously his shot making and his playmaking his defense just everything he's a galvanizing force even at this stage of his career so what have they learned what have the Suns learned that they can now deploy without him because part of it's the skill set sure but part of it is how to make winning plays how to to carry yourself um, how to deal with difficult situations, and now this is a difficult situation. But you, you can't replace him in those six to eight weeks. So I'd be, I'll be curious to see, like especially with Devin Booker as a guy who, pre-Chris Paul, had the ball in his hands a lot as a kind of combination scorer playmaker. And he's not the guy you want as your primary point guard, but he can do a lot with the ball in his hands, as we've seen a lot of other kind of combo guards in recent years. So Let's I'd like this is a really interesting test for Devin Booker. I'm not saying, you know, his reputation rises or falls on this, but I think it'll be interesting to see just what he can do to kind of steady them, stabilize them in Chris Paul's absence. Right. Howard Beck is joining us. Now, Howard, you've got a piece up on SI in the wake of the James Harden trade that addresses player power and the fact that the players have more and more power to force trades. I'm curious, like, there's drama, and you know it's going to get clicks and eyeballs, but overall, is that good for the league? Like, do you think that Adam Silver wants the league to be covered like a soap opera? What does he think about that? I think Adam Silver, even more than David Stern, believes any news is any coverage is good coverage. Any clicking is good. Like it doesn't matter good, bad, or otherwise. As long as people are talking about the NBA year round, 
transactions drive traffic. Transactions drive engagement. And I think Adam Silver sees that in a very just kind of calculating manner. I think, I think he thinks it's all great. However, he does have 30 ownership groups to answer to, and those owners have GMs who are trying to put together teams that ha- can win sustainably. It, you know, a lot of the game in the NBA, because the elite talent is so impactful, if you can get a top five guy, you got it made. You get a top 10 guy, you're in pretty good shape. You get a couple of those guys, you're a contender. And, you know, the job is never done now. Now, it's always been the case. You've got to find a good supporting cast. You've got to constantly work to um, – have the roster evolve to support your stars, but it's not the same as it was in the past because guys are leaving so quickly now. And it's not just free agency. And Adam Silver has always said, you know, going all the way back and, and David Stern said it too, when LeBron left Cleveland players, when they reach free agency, they've got a right to change their career path, to go somewhere else. That's what they earned with free agency. No one begrudges that within the league, the forced trades are a different animal though. And you know, my calculations that I, I put in that story were nine guys have forced nine stars, best of the best, not just random dudes. Nine stars in the last five years have forced trades, and two of them did it twice. So it's really 11 forced trades because Harden did it twice and Paul George did it twice. That's just in the last five years. There's never been a span like that. And they're not just waiting for the final year anymore. You know, Anthony Davis says, hey, i got a year left. You better move me before I leave in free agency. That's fair to both sides, right? Because he's giving them fair warning and he's giving them an opportunity to recoup assets so that they don't get left with nothing. But then it became Kyrie asking out with two years left. And now it's Ben Simmons wanting out with four years left and torching 54 games of a season to, to do it. Um, I, think, I do think it's a problem for the league to the extent that it is – uh, destabilizing and, and disruptive. Um, and I think that it's tough for fans, especially fans and the organization, organizations themselves can't count on this is our team anymore because it could change at the drop of a hat. The question becomes, what do you do about it? And when I asked the question, uh, put that question to Adam Silver during his press conference Saturday night, he basically said, I, I, he literally said, I don't have a silver bullet. So Adam Silver uh, does not have a, a bullet named after himself to fix it. <laughs> well said. I was going to say, like, it, he, Adam Silver can say any pub is good pub, any click, any set of eyeballs looking at us is good. I'm going to translate that to how, what can he do? He can't do anything about this. He really cannot do anything about this or he would. He's a senior NBA writer at Sports Illustrated. He is a serious XM NBA analyst. He's co-host of the Crossover NBA show with Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. He is Howard Beck. Howard, it's great to have you back. Thank you so much. Good to spend time with you. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks, Romy. Good night now!